My name is Dirk Schoenmaker from uh, Broekal. And uh, my first thing is, it's very warm. And yesterday we talked about climate policy. And I think uh, we have now this greenhouse uh, effect. We are in a greenhouse. So I encourage you uh, to follow my example and you're free to take off your tie. Uh, that helps a little bit. Uh, nothing else, of course. Um, but now we have to get serious. The future of investing, uh, investment banking. Uh, I will make a few introductory remarks and then I will introduce uh, Sylvie Matera from uh, Deutsche Bank. And if you think about the future of investment banking, then if we would go out of the room and we would go to the street and ask the people about investment banking, then uh, they would talk about bonuses, traders, and uh, some of them have seen the movies, yeah, the, the Wolf of Wall Street and a few others. And that's the general idea about investment banking. And we all know that politicians follow voters because uh, they are in the business of getting re-elected. And that is the current setting of um, the state of play on the regulation and politics of investment banking. That we are in a corner in the, on that front, basically uh, also because of the, the popular beliefs and the, the thinkings about uh, uh, of the public. And of course, things have gone wrong, so they're not unfounded. However, at the same time, we talked this morning about capital markets union, and you need players to make that happen. Uh, uh, companies issuing uh, equity and bonds, they need an investment bank to put that to investors. So for corporate finance, which is ex ex important for the real economy, for economic growth, we need investment banks. And what Sylvie and I will try to do this afternoon is to, to try to get that perspective back on the table uh, and what we need to do about that and what we need to do for that. Because research, uh, which we did earlier this year at Broekel together with Charles Goodhart, shows that the market share in Europe of investment banks, that the European investment banks are declining, the US, the five big ones, are about to take over. Should we care about that or not? Uh, and that is one of the issues we would like to discuss. And also, in general, uh, what is the future of investment banking? But I think we clearly need to link that to our ambition of capital markets union, where uh, we believe we need investment banks to make that happen. Uh, but how to get there? What is the agenda? So that's as an opening. Uh, what we will do is, um, Sylvie will make an uh, introduction. Then we will have a debate on several issues and then I will open to the floor and we can have a general discussion. So we were, we were extremely happy to have Sylvie Matarat from Deutsche Bank uh, at the table. Um, she's not only well first at the private sector, now two years at uh, Deutsche Bank, chief regulation officer and member of the board. But in addition, have been on the public side uh, at the Banque de France uh, doing regulation and financial stability. And uh, that's always useful to know both sides uh, of, the, of, the, of the game. 
and uh, we are re I'm le really looking forward uh, to our insights. And I would like to start with uh, asking you uh, to give an introduction. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Uh, and thank you for the invitation. I must say that I was a little surprised to realize that I was stuck between geopolitical challenges and uh, energy union and challenges for job growth and investment. But uh, when you think about it, in fact, the future of investment banking in Europe certainly has some geopolitical issues and certainly is very important for jobs, growth and investment. So in a way, it's, um, it's a good place to be. So first of all, um, investment bank investment banking activities in Europe in my introduction I just would like to highlight five points the first one uh, is in fact investment banking in Europe does it matter the second point is that I would like to look at what is the current situation in Europe and why it is so and then see whether it is a problem of not and if we agree that it is a problem what needs to be done so first thing investment banking activities for Europe does it matter I understood that you had a discussion this morning on capital market union. And in fact, everybody knows that um, uh, the financing of, um, of uh, European entities is mostly done through banks, uh, where it's, uh, in, in the US is completely the reverse. And everybody is more or less familiar with the proportion, which is 80% of the financing of European corporates is done through banks. So obviously, with the project of the capital market union, there is a, an objective to try to have a better balance in terms of financing for corporates and to try to make sure that corporates in Europe can also directly tap the market. But um, how can they do that? And the first thing is that uh, they need to know what they need to show to the market if they want to go to it. They need to know what kind of transparency they need to show to investors, what kind of information prospectors they need to provide. They also need to uh, understand to who they're going to speak, who is going to be their investor base, and uh, what type of uh, product those investors can be interested in. So what type of issue they're going to, uh, to do, what type of... Uh, of uh, what, what would be the duration, what would be the characteristic in terms of, uh, of amount. So that's something that is not easy to find out for a corporate. And when they found that, in fact, they need to speak to their investor base. So they need to do some kind of roadshow to, uh, to try to sell their own company. And uh, when it's done, then they will also need to, um, to manage the paper, meaning to, uh, to make the market, to uh, first of all, to agree that somebody will buy them, so to underwrite the paper, there will be somebody to underwrite the issue, and then to, um, to have commitments to buy and sell in order to make it a real market and an interesting prospect for investors. So what is it? It's just investment banking activities. So in fact, there is no way you can reach a capital market union if you don't have investment banking activities in Europe. So what is the situation? Who is able to provide those activities to European corporate? I mean, I guess, I hope everybody read your paper that you uh, uh, wrote with uh, Charles Goodhart because uh, I think it gave a lot of an interesting uh, perspective in terms of numbers. Where we are, I mean, you can discuss the scope, the calculation, but all in all, for the last five years, European investment bank lost around 10% of market shares in Europe, and US investment bank gain 10% of market share. You can always discuss whether you speak of the same 10%, but more or less that is, a, that is a situation right now. European investment bank lost a lot of market share, and US investment bank, in fact, the, what we call the big five, so GP, GP Morgan, Citibank, Goldman Stan, um, uh, Morgan Stanley, 
uh, Goldman and, uh, and Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, I mean, those five banks that just all together increase their market share in terms of uh, investment banking in Europe. So why, how can you explain that? And in fact, as a, a, a still big European investment bank, we just wonder why, how can it be that the US can manage to do it and that it's more difficult, or it, at least it seems out of the figure, more difficult for European banks. I think there's some issues that may understand this situation. And um, at least I can find three explanations. The first explanation is that size matters. The second explanation is that corporate culture matters. And the last explanation is that regulation matters. So the first explanation is that size matters. How is it? Um, to, to, be, to be able to be efficient in terms of investment banking, you need to be able to reach a certain size, to have some energies of, uh, synergies of scale, and to also be able to, uh, to work on a, on a liquid market. So in fact, um, why we do have a problem in terms of size. I mean, after the crisis, uh, regulators were very keen to be careful not to have banks that whose size became to be too large to be able to deal with it should, should you have a problem. And you must really recognize that within Europe, countries are smaller than US. So in fact, if you want, in a way, to limit the size of the bank, because you're afraid as a regulator, as a policymaker, that if that bank has a problem, you may need to tap the, um, um, the, the public in order to resolve it, then you need to be careful not to have too large banks. And that's why size matters, and in terms of investment banking, you need to be to reach a certain size in order to be efficient. So that's the first thing. So size matters, but size matters not only in terms of countryside, but also in terms of balance sheet. So just because US banks are larger, they also have a larger balance sheet, and they can also rely on the most stable retail uh, business, and also on the most profitable business. And why is it so? And then we need to go to the second type of explanation, which is the corporate culture. The retail activity in US is much more profitable than it is in European countries, and certainly in uh, the home country of my bank, Germany, just because people in the US are very much used to that type of, um, of banking products, are used to pay for it. In Europe, people are not used to pay for it. I mean, if you, we try to begin to introduce some fees, for example, in terms of uh, if you hold an account, if you uh, withdraw from a, uh, a cash machine some, some amounts. I mean, in the US, it's just common. It's common everywhere. In Europe, it's not the case. So the corporate culture is different. That means that it allows US investment bank to rely uh, on, a, on another type of business, on a retail business, which is more profitable than it is in Europe. The third issue why US banks manage to do it better than we do in Europe is about regulation. Doesn't mean that regulation is not the same in Europe and in the US. And in fact, after the crisis, there had been a huge effort to try to harmonize the regulation. But it seems that in US, um, are better fit for the current regulation. Because US banks, um, I mean, US banks seems to be better fit for it. US economy is better fit also for this regulation. And on top of that, Europe, Europe has had additional regulation. Why US banks are better fit for this type of regulation? First of all, because they don't have the same balance sheet as European banks. They use much more uh, netting, 
I mean, netting in terms of derivatives, for example, under US accounting rules rather than in IRFRS, but even more than that, they just net quite a lot assets and liabilities, which is not allowed in Europe. So in fact, the, um, even if the, the US bank's balance sheet are B, in fact, they, they are less leveraged because they manage to net a lot of things. So uh, for them, something like a leverage ratio, it's much more easier to fulfill that in Europe because they do have some netting practices that is more widely used than it is in Europe. And um, another example is the um, mortgages. In the US, the US banks don't have mortgages on their balance sheet because they just initiate the mortgages and they are in fact in, uh, front, in front of their clients, but then after that, they, they give it to Fannie Mae Freddie Mac. So in fact, those mortgages don't sit on the bank's balance sheet, which is completely different in Europe, where we do have on our bank's balance sheet large amount of, um, of mortgages that are really low risk, but in fact, because of their size, makes uh, something like leverage ratio, a big con constraint for European banks. So in fact, our balance sheet are less fit for the new regulation than the US banks. US economy also seems to be uh, better able to handle this new regulation. And why so? Just because, as I was mentioning at the beginning, in the US, the, um, the economy is much more financed through market than it is through banks. So that means that if you constrain banks' availability to provide loan to the economy, in fact, the economy does care, but care less than in Europe. Because in Europe, if you constrain the bank capacity to provide loan, in fact, you have a bigger impact on the economy because the economy is financed through loans. So you do have a much more uh, negative impact on, on the European economy than you do have in the US economy, even if you have the same regulation. What does it mean? It means that the uh, US economy is, I mean, was able to continue to grow as a certain rhythm, even if banks did not provide any credit, which is not the case in, in, in Europe. And then on top of that, we must uh, add that uh, Europe had additional constraints that, uh, that are not applicable in the US. I mean, of course, it's the uh, uh, and type of uh, regulation, which um, main objective is to try to make sure that uh, the deposit, uh, the retail deposit are not used to finance investment banking. I mean, that's something that is, I mean, we do have, um, we are still waiting for the European decision on this one, but in some countries like France and Germany, there have been specific regulation, which makes it very difficult to continue some type of activities which are really very traditional investment banking activities. We also have regulation like MIFID, for example, which uh, is not going to be applicable to US banks, which makes the, um, uh, some type of activities much more expensive because I was, I was mentioning the, um, the, the traditional investment banking uh, work that uh, you do when an issue, a corporate want to issue directly on the market. But every time you do that, you provide some research depending on the, uh, on the economic sector in which the corporate is. And with MIFID, we're going to have to have those corporates paid separately for research and for the uh, investment banking product, which makes this um, much more expensive. And then you have the, uh, all the series you were mentioning in the introduction that uh, when people in the street think about investment bank, they all immediately think about bonus and, um, and traders. And also this regulation about compensation. And uh, to be honest, when I was in the, in the public sector, I, I never realized how 
this one could be an issue for investment banking. Because I remember when the, the, the bankers came to see me in my previous capacity, and they say, well, you don't do that because it's going to have a competitive disadvantage to us, and we will need to increase the fixed salary. And I was always thinking that that's completely ridiculous because if you increase the, uh, the fixed salary, then you increase the cost. And uh, it's, not, uh, it's not a good economic decision. That's true, but in fact, now I'm on the other side, I realize that's what we need to do. And in fact, that's what we need to do, especially for banks who have a presence in the US. And for example, we do have a presence in the US. It's a very competitive market. And uh, in certain areas, if you don't pay people the way they think they should be paid, they just leave and, and they cross the street and they can find exactly the same job, 20% more. So it's a very competitive market and you need to be very careful in order to, uh, to be able to remain in that business because that business is really dependent on people. Um, I can maybe take you a con uh, tell you a concrete example. We had a subsidiary in the US that was working under the uh, US type uh, uh, of um, uh, remuneration. So in fact, the people who, it was a, uh, an asset management uh, uh, company. And they were managing funds. And those people in the asset management, they are used to have a very low fixed pay and to be remunerated in percentage of, uh, of, the, uh, of the work they do. And so um, we decided that, in fact, it was very difficult for us to continue to do that under the regulation that we need to cap the fixed amount by proportion to the to the variable amount, sorry, by proportion to the fixed amount. And we tried to explain to our regulators that basically this business, the value added of this business is was only the people who were working in it. So if we are stopping to pay them, uh, the people will leave and, and this um, subsidiary value will drop to zero. So we completely understood that we cannot keep that type of business under CRD4, so we decided to sell it, but it's not something you can do overnight. And, but in order to be able to find somebody who buys this company as a good price, we need to keep the people in it, because otherwise the value of the company was zero. And uh, in order to keep the people in it, we had to ask for a specific exemption in order to be able to pay those people until we finalize the sale. So that's something that, I mean, I, I never realized how important it is because those people who work in this business, they know exactly what they can be paid in certain uh, countries, and especially in the US, and they just leave if they don't get the same type of remuneration. So that is also an issue. So that's why I think the US investment bank are currently earning market share and that we are losing it. Is it a problem? I mean, after all, you can say, well, if corporates in Europe want to, uh, to do some type of specific issue, they still can use uh, US investment bank and, and no European one. And I remember once uh, a big, uh, a, a very important European policymaker who told me, but prove me that there is a really a need to have a European investment bank. I think it's really a need because if you want, because otherwise you are very much dependent from something that is very important for our own economy from the, uh, another country. And it may not be a problem if everything is okay, but once you have a problem, once you have, you run into difficulties, you need to go through a restructuration. It's much more easy to cut businesses that are not core to your, uh, not, cl not close to your home. So I guess if the European economy is very much dependent from the US investment banking, and if there is another crisis, or if those, because remember, we speak of five banks, so if any of those five banks has some difficulty and need to go through a strong restructuration, I mean, obviously, it will cut everything that is not close to his, his home business. 
So it's much more easier to cut the European business if you are a US bank than to cut US activities. So yes, yes, I think it is a problem. So what can we do if this is a problem? So maybe that's a, uh, can we leave that for the discussion? But I guess one of the, the main issues and one of the, I think the mistake that was made by policymakers after the crisis is to try to say we need to harmonize the regulation in order to make sure that we enhance the level playing field. I mean, the idea was quite good, except that there is different way of harmonizing a situation. Either you harmonize the rules or you harmonize the, or you want to harmonize the outcome of the rules. And of course, the good solution is to harmonize the outcome because that's what you want, is to make sure that everybody is in the same situation. Very difficult to harmonize the outcome, much more easy to take the same rule. But if you apply the same rule to a situation that is different, the outcome is likely to be different. And that's exactly where we are. When you apply the same constraint to bank, to banks in some cases are financing one third of the economy and to banks who, who are financing two thirds of the economy. The impact of the economy is very different because uh, the, the constraint is much more important in the latter case, of course. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. And I think that set nicely the stage. And I think the key issue, of course, for us is to discuss what to do. But before um, we go there, I want to explore one issue in more depth, which you mentioned, and that's size. Because um, one reason we started to write this paper with Charles Kutat was that uh, late last year and earlier this year is, should we look at investment banks and banks in more general from a country level? And then size is an issue and also the public support uh, for it. Or should we look at it at least from the euro area level? Uh, because we have uh, we have now the the euro area. We have the banking union, and that is partly um, for the survival of investment banks. But I think you're right to say uh, that's partly geopolitical. Uh, that's why it sits nicely with the other issues, because. If you look at, we talk a lot about uh, the US, but in China you see the same. Uh, the China are of course commercial banks, but also their investment banking capacity are increasing and serving the Chinese corporates hey, who are starting merchant acquisitions, raising outside finance. And to, to stay at par with uh, our colleagues from the US, uh, China and Japan, then we need to think, uh, I think, at bank union, at euro area level, we have now the, the structure, and we need to finish that. And we, we talked last night a little bit during the speech of uh, Jeroen Dijsselbloem about completely bank union, and everybody is paying lip service also this morning. Uh, of course, uh, European deposit insurance is without question we should do that. Movement is zero, but but I think the broader issue, because investment banking is not about deposit insurance, but the broader thing is, is the ESM available uh, for inf behind investment banking, like the US Treasury and the Chinese government is behind their banks. I think that's the big issue uh, for uh, the geopolitical uh, side if we uh, want to stay uh, in business. The second thing uh, I think you raised was regulation. Uh, what, to your mind, uh, what would you say is a key issue where, uh, where, uh, where we have a disadvantage? So what would be the, your number one issue 
where we can realistically look at? Well, the first point, um, I think capital market union is really a great idea, except that you don't have a market. And that's for having a market, you need to have the same rules, meaning same corporate rules, same fiscal rules, same um, uh, budget rules. So investment banking, yes, we need size, but we need also a real market. Because if you want to have a deep and liquid market to trade some securities, you, ne you need to make sure that the law under which you issue the security will be recognized in the country where we want to trade. So capital market union, great idea. Just begin to make a market first. So it's, it's very important. And, um, and so your, your second question was about regulation. I, I think that, um, I mean, nobody will deny that more regulation was needed. And in fact, I guess we made all a huge amount of progress in terms of diminish the leverage of the banking industry, meaning increasing the capital, both in terms of quantity and quality. And, and then you need to, and these business need a little leverage yet. And so, and it also, the, the, the timing of the implementation is very important. So in fact, if you are a bank, you need two things. First of all, certainty, because We've been asked for everybody, and in fact, uh, I had my regular uh, ECB meeting this morning saying where you are in terms of strategy. I mean, the day of the management board is just to us, the work, the daily work of the management board is just to assess the external environment, macroeconomy, regulatory landscape, and then against those external constraints, you need to adapt yourself given what you are and where you want to go. And that's what we need to do. But it's very difficult to manage, to manage that if the external environment is moving all the time. So you certainly know that the macroeconomy is, is moving, but the regulatory space, it would be very nice to have certainty. So to try to have certainty is something that is very important. Then you have certainty about the decision and the implementation is also very important to apply it um, in a, at a timing when it's not going to hurt more, you know. And especially given the situation of Europe where you still have most of the financing which is coming through banks. So in fact, what we are doing now is that we, uh, we are trying to uh, enhance the quality of our balance sheet by increasing the capital. And there is several ways you can do that. Either you increase your capital or you decrease your assets. And in fact, the first step was just to increase the quality and the quantity of capital. And then at some point, when, when you, you, you need to look at the assets and what we are doing, and all the banks are doing that, you see the, the banks are deleveraging quite a lot. And it's not helping the economy. I mean, of course, it's not very painful now because there, you can't say that there is a lot of demand and that we're refusing demands in terms of growth. But even if there was, I mean, it's, it, it's very difficult to be able to, uh, you know, the first one has to start. We are in a kind of uh, vicious circle in a way. And, um, and also the, the macroeconomic environment is, is, I mean, difficult. I mean, you work in, a, in an, an interest rate environment, which is not easy. Also, it has some good parts because when you want to, uh, your funding cost, of course, yeah. benefiting from that. But at the same time, you do have huge amount of deposit. Our work is to take, I mean, to do transformation in terms of liquidity, so in terms of duration, and also in terms of risk. In terms of liquidity, meaning we take uh, amounts that are liquid and we try to land it, I mean, very 
basic uh, uh, banking activity to landing with people who have, who have, uh, who have needs, long-term needs. If you do have an excess in terms of deposit, which we have to do now because of the liquidity regulation, which once again uh, are very uh, justified because we need to make sure you never die because you don't have enough capital. You die because you don't have liquidity. So those liquidity regulation was very much needed. And I must say now the, the banking sector is very liquid. So we do have those liquidity, but what do you do with it? We have a lot of amount of liquidity because you're not going to lend it to the economy, you go back to the central bank every day with your excess liquidity, and every day you lose money. So it's, um, it's a business model that is really tight. Huh? Can I pick up on one thing and then we go to the future agenda? Uh, you mentioned certainty of regulation, and also that MIFID is uh, quite important yes. and different from the US. Still, um, MIFID is partly regulation, partly directive. And if we have a directive, then we know already that the implementation can be quite different. What role do you see for ESMA in helping out to ensure the level playing field, but also in, uh, in the enforcement, rather than each supervisor doing something different, that there is a bigger role for ESMA? What, what, what do you think uh, would be useful there? Well, for, I mean, we are as a bank currently in 70 countries. Also, we are reducing a little our footprint, but still, even after I've done that, we are going to remain in something like 60 countries. What is awful for a bank which is in 60 countries is to have 60 different regulations. So what is really needed is to have harmonization in terms of regulation. Even if you disagree with it, the fact that you have the same one is, is a good thing. It's, a, it's really a good thing. Because you need to make sure that when you, uh, you, you have the external regulation, then you need to implement that in you, into your internal guidelines. And you need to explain to, uh, to your people what they are allowed to do, what they are not allowed to do. If you need to change those internal policy from country to country, first of all, it, it's a nightmare. Then you're, you're completely sure that they're going to be mistake. So, so the first thing that I would um, I would recommend is that to uh, you mentioned a directive. I mean, directive we've seen in the past how it was, and in, I mean, uh, I remember some directives. You look at the the some of the implementation of the directive in some countries, and you look at it in another country. Nobody could have ever imagined it was coming from the same directive, honestly. So, no, harmonization is key. Huh? Yeah. I think we still have some bad news there because this morning we discussed insolvency uh, rec uh, and of course it's quite clear because insolvency law is quite different uh, among Europe because it's part of civil law. Still having a directive like with the BRRD that means that we still keep uh, the different rules and I think the strength of the, the bank union has been the, that the SSM, the SRM both has been a regulation I think the capital uh, requirement directive is halfway, half regulation, half directive, and I hope at the next revision it will be uh, 95 or 99 percent regulation. And I think uh, for the Commission, um, if we really want to have this banking and capital markets union, we need to really think more in, uh, in regulation terms. However difficult it is, you can better have a longer time on negotiation uh, on a proper one. Uh, but then, then you can start working and uh, asking at the SSM, we ask the ECB, and one nightmare for them today is still that 
uh, regulation is a small part, so they have to work a large part still from directives, and that makes it very difficult. So I think uh, if we really care about a capital markets union, uh, and, and, and you said it a bit politely, I think we really need to uh, rethink our uh, legislation approach in Europe that we really need for the key areas like a prospectus and so on, not a directive but a uh, regulation. But if we move to um, the future, um, we talk about investment banking and I think your message was quite clear at the start. Investment banking are providing services to corporates to raise the capital. So they are extremely, uh, they, they are the gatekeeper uh, for capital markets union to get the corporate to the investor. And some of the big guys can do it themselves, but the, the average company needs an uh, investment bank. But we talk about investment banks, but what could the corporates do if they care about whether they have a US or a European investment bank? Well, corporate, I mean, I don't think European corporates are ready to go directly to the market themselves. I mean, if you want to go to the market, they need to comply with a lot of transparency. And I don't see from the corporate sector readiness to provide that transparency. So it, it's, um, and also they need to not only to be transparent, but to show something that can be uh, attractive. And, and clearly then maybe the situation is different from country to country, but some of the European corporate really lacks the level of equity that is really needed to make it appealing from investors. So that's, I mean, there, there's also some way to go there. Um, so that's, that's what they need to do. And, uh, and for investment banking, I guess that uh, we need to make very clear also that with all the regulation post-crisis, there was, investment banking is a word and there was a lot of things behind it. And there was a lot of things that we don't do anymore. And that's true both in the US and in Europe, which is property trading, which is trading from trading. Your people were doing some, buying and selling just for the purpose of making money around and then making money out of money. So this one is a kind of investment banking activities that, that made the bad reputation of investment banking. So, and I completely agree, this one has gone, or should have been gone now, thanks to the regulation for the crisis. But doesn't mean that you need to, um, uh, to get rid of all investment banking activity. There's a part of investment banking that is really useful for the economy. And you need to keep this one. And I agree with a different culture, uh, with a maybe different remuneration policy. Um, but it, it's really needed. I, I can tell from experience, uh, I was on the Dutch banking committee and um, our chairman was also part of the Likana committee, and I think that's the big thing of the Likana proposal, no propriety trading uh, except for market making uh, in, in a universal bank, and I think that's well accepted. Uh. Yeah, and Volcker in the US is exactly the same. Yeah. So Volcker, if you, if you want to trade something, you need to prove that you have a Randy, which is a Randy, it's a reasonable expectation that you're going to be able to make the trade with somebody else. Yeah. And yeah. you need to prove it desk by desk. Very difficult. I think that's quite a lot from our side, so I'm looking forward to some questions uh, from the floor. Yeah. Can you please first say your name yeah. and affiliation? Catherine Pure, EU reporter. Uh, this is a question that's come up again and again over the last couple of days, but of course, Brexit. London plays a very, very important role in capital markets. What do you think the implication of Brexit will be for investment banking in Europe? 
you want I, to do? Collect questions? Yeah, collect. Uh, okay. uh, at least we did 40 minutes without brackets, but now we have to face the music. Uh, Kuntram? Yeah, Guntram Wolf Brügel, you mentioned that retail banking is not very profitable um, in, in Europe and also in Germany. And I was wondering whether you would want to enlarge a little bit more on that. You mentioned sort of different cultures in terms of raising fees, but I think there are much deeper issues there in terms of concentration, competition in the markets, number of banks, yeah. um, the business models of some banks, and I was wondering whether you want to comment on that. Yes, agree. Any Marcello Messori, Louis School of European Political Economy, Rome. Uh, I have to confess to you that I have some difficulties to understand your distinction between harmonization of rules uh, and the harmonization of uh, the outcomes. Yes. Due to the fact that, uh, let me assume that you compare banks in US and uh, uh, in the Euro area. Uh, even if uh, uh, US investment banks lost uh, the label, they uh, still play a role as investment bank. Uh, uh, in Europe, investment banks uh, normally combine their activity as investment bank with uh, other activities as commercial banks. So, which is the measure to state that outcomes are the same? Uh, I'm quite puzzled to understand the point. Thank you. Propose that we start with answering the question, then we do a second round. Okay. So Brexit, yes, Brexit. That's um, it's a big issue, and it's a big issue for me. We are the largest branch in UK, seven thousand people in London. So, yeah, it, it, it's a branch. So meaning that it's a German bank. So meaning that we are incorporated in continental Europe. Um, but still we have to see how to manage that, if we need to manage it, because we had discussion with the, uh, with the PRA, who told us that, um, I mean, they like us very much <laughs> as a big employee in the city, maybe the biggest one, so, and, and that they are very much used to have branches from third countries, and then in fact we will become de facto a branch from third countries. Uh, but still, we have to uh, we have to look at what it means. We are quite quite comfortable with it because we are incorporated in Germany. We do have uh, branches and subsidiaries everywhere in Europe. So to move things around, it's not an easy. It's not something that is difficult. Um, it's um, uh, however, you must recognize that in terms of flexibility, UK market is very flexible. And I say that because I will come to your question on retail. UK market, very flexible. I will explain what it means. And, and you have a lot of people are very, uh, very international. Um, uh, and, and they do have a huge knowledge and a huge banking culture. So, uh, but that said, we, uh, I mean, we need to look at it very seriously. And, and it's not only about booking, because you can say, well, it's very easy. This trade is not going to be booked physically in London, but then you book in Germany. I mean, you can do that. It's just, you know, you write it elsewhere, so that's fine. Except that it's not, it's not the case. If you book something somewhere now, and I think it, it's, um, I mean, the regulation, the supervisors ask you 
to make sure that not only you book something in a place, but you do have the controls that go with it. Make sure that, in fact, the traders use the good transaction, the good pricing, the good model, the adequate model to price the transaction, that they had supervisory, internal supervisory uh, check on that. And so there is, it's not only about booking, it's everything that goes with it. So um, it's something that we look very uh, seriously now. We, the, the problem is that we, we don't, we don't have feedback from the UK authorities. And in fact, it's just that strange because it's, it's, you may seem that it's just the reverse. I mean, we have questions, what are you going to do? And we say, well, I mean, like always, we adapt to the environment. We didn't choose to leave that you leave the, the uh, Europe. So you, you did it. You have your own reasons, so, but now we need, I mean, it's just like the environment. It's part of the environment. So what we need is just to understand what's going to be done and what will be the consequence. So the consequence is likely the loss of the passport because in fact, one of the, when I say that, I don't have any uh, specific uh, insight in information about it, but, but clearly one of the major issues during the referendum was the freedom of, um, of uh, movement of people. And that's really a, a very important part of the passport. So if you don't want to have that, you're not going to keep other part of the passport, which is freedom of, in terms of financial services. So I, my expectation, but once again it's personal, is that the passport is not compatible with the outcome of the vote. What does it mean? It means that if you want to serve a European client, then you need to do that from a continental Europe base. What does it mean? It means that for banks like us or BNP, for example, who are incorporated already in European uh, continental Europe, it, it's less an issue than from a bank, a US or a UK bank, especially the US bank who used London as a starting point to, uh, as the entry point from Europe to get the passport. In fact, we, we are maybe the largest branch, but we are in a very different situation. We are passporting from continental Europe to UK. The US and UK bank as, are passporting from London to Europe, very different. So that's a starting point, uh, which makes us quite comfortable, to be honest, but then we need to discuss with the UK authorities. It's going to be, um, it's going to be an interesting discussion, I would say, and, and it's not going to be done overnight. No way. There's too much people, too much knowledge, too much flexibility that is necessary for the banking business in London. Um, retail, yes, I mean, retail is, uh, I mean, retail in Europe is, is really, I mean, it's a business that is not profitable, but that's stable. I mean, it gives you a small amount of revenues, but a stable amount of revenues. So I guess that's why people like it so much, because it's really stable. Investment banking revenues, not stable. But that's normal. I mean, that's normal because you make market. And in fact, I, I was reading in your paper that some of the hedge funds were in favor of Brexit just because Brexit, I mean, they, they, they were thinking that Brexit will mean a lot of mess, and, and that's true. Investment banking, when you do, we, I mean, we make money out of volatility. So when, when you have a huge mess, and obviously the hedge funds are much more leveraged than the banks are now because they don't have the same capital constraint, so hedge funds are usually leveraged. So as soon as you have volatility, that makes a huge amount of money. So investment banking, I mean, if you have good investment banks, they really know how to manage liquidity, uh, volatility. So yes, it is volatile, but it's part of the business. So that's why the idea to have a stable business, which is not generating much revenue with a business that is generating revenues, but much more volatile. So that's the concept of uh, universal banking, I think is a good idea. 
But then in Europe, we do have a problem. And um, uh, there is other issues than remuneration. I mean, you're right. The, the fact that first people are not used to pay for banking products, and they will have to get to that. And in fact, it's beginning now. Then um, the, 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 I mean, the profitability is really difficult in retail just because we have too much banks in all European. It, it's really, we need to do much more consolidation. And uh, in fact, what would be certainly the most efficient is to have cross-border consolidation because that, I mean, cross-borders, but internal Europe in order to make sure, for yeah. example, that would be uh, very good for capital market union to have real European players. Um, but it's very difficult yeah, and, and also, Maybe the local, the different local supervisors may not like it, so it's very difficult. So I guess the first step would be to go for internal national consolidation, but that's also may raise political issue. So that's that's something that put uh, when you do have too much competition, it's very good for the clients because in fact you are a price taker. Can I can I link in on that before we go to the last question? That's exactly what we see before the single market in banking happened. Then you see a lot of national mergers, and the prime example in my country is like Abin and, and Emro. So you a lot of domestic mergers to prepare uh, for the European market, and then you would expect the cross-border mergers, but they were not coming. And, and that's the really interesting issue of the US, when the interstate restrictions were released. Um, Kremlitz, no, not Kremlitz Bliley, but the other one, uh, the Recall uh, Neil Act. Then we got the super uh, regions, like Bank of America comes originally from San Francisco, mm -hmm. but now has 11-12% uh, of the US market, and they are not allowed to do uh, any takeover anymore because they have more than 10% of deposits. So in the US, when uh, regulations were reduced, you got this merges into super regionals. We don't have that uh, in Europe. Uh, we had a, a few small ones, but only the national consolidation. And it will be really interesting to see whether uh, in one or two years' time we get across border and who's going to call the shot. Is the ECB uh, doing it or the national supervisor, of course, together? And officially it seems that the national supervisor has to prepare the application and send it to the ECB. So it will be, it will oh, be a very protected claim, I think. Oh, it's, um, I mean, I hope it will come because Europe, Europe is a great market. I mean, you have a lot of wealth in Europe a lot of growth possibility as soon as you make it a real Europe. And what I was mentioning about capital market, that you need to have a market, I mean, it's really where you have to go. If you want to have this part of the world existing as something that is big, growing, respected, and a good market, then you need to accept at each national level to lose a little part of your power. And that's where the difficulty is. You really need Europe. But for that, you need to have people and politicians to accept to be mean part of a bigger kingdom rather than to be king of a small kingdom. And that's difficult, I guess. And then you, uh, you didn't allow me to answer the fi finish your question, which was about the uh, constraint on, on, on social cost. It's not an easy question to tackle, but I can tell you, uh, I have team in all 60 countries. I mean, that's really a difference. That's really a difference. You must recognize that you do have a lot of flexibility in US and UK. You must recognize that, which is not always a good thing because it, it gives rise to an, an inflation in terms of salaries, I must say. But then 
so flexible. It, it's, it's really a difference. I don't say it's better or, or bad, but it, it's really a difference. So, but at least you need to have it harmonized within Europe to make it a real market. Whatever the rule you choose, be it a European, European rules. That would be really something that we need. Then your last question about U.S. investment bank. In fact, I don't know if you follow the, the details of the uh, U.S. Uh, election campaign, um, but there is one issue, especially in my domain, which is flying now, and that the banks are very, very, very afraid, which is the ring fencing of the investment banking. And I can tell you, if you do have that, then we may have different figures in terms of US and European investment bank. If you do have that, it's going to change. Because in fact, when I say size is, is size matter, and also the size of the balance sheet, the fact that those investment banks benefit from a huge profitable retail business. If you ring fence the investment banking business, they are really, really very afraid of that. An investment bank, a loan investment bank today in the regulatory environment is not viable because you just cannot fulfill the requirements in terms of liquidity, NSFR, if you are an investment bank. Just not possible. You don't have the base of the liquidity that is necessary to finance an investment bank. So that's a big issue in the US. If they do that, I mean, really, that's something that we need to follow very carefully. I mean, they need to follow it very carefully. But that's likely to be a game changer, honestly. Can hire uh, John Fickers. <laughs> a final round of questions. I saw one in the back. I'm Matt Dan from Bruegel. I enjoyed your description of um, uh, of investment bankers' remuneration as um, very efficient. Um, I, if you have a large, uh, if you have a large component which is a bonus, then you only get a big bonus when you add value to the bank or to the bank's clients. Um, however, I think um, some of the public concern about um, about bonuses was the link between risk and reward, um, and there are very high rewards for very risky behavior. So given that you um, did mention about the future of, of, of investment banking, a different remuneration policy, how do you keep the efficiency um, in the remuneration policy whilst reducing the exposure to risk, which, as you were... Uh, pointed out the taxpayer would ultimately be responsible for? Yeah, that's and a very good question. And uh, there are no sir? other questions, then, then this is the final one. Okay. No, that's a very good question. And I must say that the financial industry has salaries, I mean, that went up to the roof. It's just not understandable why this sector is paying those people so much. And, but then it is what it is. And when you live in a competitive environment, you need to do, like, here again, you're a price taker. So you can't say, I don't pay my investment banker because they all live. I mean, they're just going to cross the street and, and go to the, the house in front of you. You will be happy to, to pay them more. So, so it's a collective exercise. And, and we need to do that. The, the first one who will do it will lose his key people. So what you need to do? First of all, you need to align risk and rewards. I'm, I completely agree. And in fact, I think that I really, <laughs> it's also, it's linked with everything within the banking industry. It's linked with accounting. If you do have accounting policies that allows you to take upfront profit, it's just awful because you take upfront profit, you calculate bonus out of upfront profit, and then you may have losses in the next 10 years. That's really not acceptable, but that's an accounting policy. 
in fact, if you do have fair value accounting, which we do in investment banking, it's really a wrong thing because you can have, I mean, profit today that may lead to, uh, to losses in two or three years' time. And then the bankers, which have uh, get a, a huge bonus, which will all have left. So it's very important to align risk and reward. So what we do with that? In fact, we, you do have a variable compensation, but you also block it for a certain amount of time. And in most under trade, I mean, in my case, in my bank, it's blocked for four years. So it, you, you block it for four years, and then you release it only if, I mean, the conditions, so the risk and the rewards are, are still there. Um, you need also to make sure that when you calculate, and that's it's up to each bank to do that, when you calculate the variable proportion, you make sure that you include not only the profit, but in fact, when you speak with all those bankers, everybody makes profit. When you add all that, you may end up with a loss. So there's a problem somewhere. So the problem is that they don't, <laughs> they just, um, I, I was remember we had a, a budget discussion recently and there was some of the division, we came with a cost to income ratio, very nice. They say, what are you going, how can you manage to have that cost-to-income ratio? And then my neighbors say, very easy, it takes the income, it doesn't take the cost. But that's more or less what they do. In fact, when you calculate, so you need to make sure when you calculate variable compensation that you take also all the costs. Meaning that if you do a transaction, but if that transaction leads you to generate provisions, to generate uh, compliance issue, anti-financial crime issue, fines, then you don't pay a value. So everything needs to be included. So it should be a net net and not only the gross revenues. It's quite difficult to, um, to put in place. I, I try to do that. I mean, it's quite a change in terms of culture in a way. But um, you say to them, for example, we, we have a system of red flags. So usually, I mean, in the older time, people considered to have the type of control or back office to be a kind of second-class citizen. And they don't do their training because they say, well, in, 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 in Deutsche Bank now, we do have a system. If they don't do their training, they have a kind of red flags. And when you have red flags, it has an impact on your compensation. So that's the type of things you need to do. It's part of corporate culture. It's part of culture change. It will take a time, but we really need to go there because it's not sustainable otherwise. I think we are, uh, thank you. We are going to finish on this high note of, uh, Culture, which I think is extremely important, uh, what you say, that in the end uh, we have to change the rules of the game and uh, training and integrity and that kind of issues uh, have become very important. I think one conclusion I draw from this debate that although our numbers are pessimistic and uh, they are crossing next year if they uh, extrapolate what we are never allowed to do, so the US investment banks will take over in, uh, in Europe. but. I think it was also quite clear in the US things may happen as well and that sounds, that makes clear that the world is always uncertain and it may seem greener on the other side but that can change uh, if Ficker uh, goes for four years to the US to help them out. So in that sense we have to be careful. I think the important message is uh, that at least we have to get uh, our act together and uh, have to be quite clear on the capital markets union like uh, if we do that have proper harmonized rules so we can have an efficient capital markets union uh, so we can uh, move forward. And I would really like to thank you, uh, Sylvie, for uh, bearing the flag for the European investment banks because I think, although European corporates will not do it, but I think it is also in their own interest uh, to, to keep this as a strategic issue because if we have the next recession coming, you want to have your banker with you. 
uh, helping out. And that means also in good times, uh, you have to be uh, together. Uh, and in that sense, it is a strategic issue and it should be on the agenda of the EU-US uh, uh, regulatory dialogue to make sure that we can compete on even uh, terms. But uh, uh, please join me in a big thanks uh, to Sylvie.